Welcome, everybody, to Mormons on Mushrooms. Uh, just a reminder that this is a storytelling podcast where we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a more fulfilling life. A lot of times on the podcast, we discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health top priority. Uh, lastly, the opinions offered by our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. That's the first time Celise joined and know that. I I respect I respect that and appreciate that, (laughs) Shalise. Hi. Good to see you, Adrian. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? Yep. Maybe turn it up just a little bit. Well, like one notch on your volume thing. Going up on the volume. Okay. That's not for you. Never mind. I just have my volume way down. Well, there we go. Okay. Is it too, is it too loud now or it's good? No, it's perfect. You sound okay. great. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I'm like on my beanbag crisscross. I have my microphone actually on my drum. <laughs> oh, man. You are in like a full magic pose right now. You're going to, we're, we're just going to, we're just going to be quiet and let you channel whatever kind of spirits uh, come through your way. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> just channel the lion's gate to us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Oh my goodness. How has that been for all of you? The Lionsgate. Awesome. I, uh, we had a, we, I was telling uh, Mike and Shalise that I was going to go up and do this uh, Kundalini yoga, yoga mm-hmm. thing today. Yeah. But we had a four, four plus hour power out last night, uh, after we went to bed. Oh, so like to me, to me, it was like, that's all the, that's all the sign from the universe I need to sleep in a little bit and, yeah. and, not do, and not, I, I can, I can use anything as an excuse to not get up early and do uh, exercise. So, yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do too. <laughs> I did get up for it. And How it, was it? Was, it's great. I love it. Um, you know, I've been doing it a lot recently, but I'm mostly using recordings. There's something about the live group energy when you do it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. And Sid um, was great. It, it's always something new with her. It's kind of great. Like new meditations or new. Yeah, it's always new. It's always surprising. And uh, I think so. <laughs> Man, I'm inflexible. Like <laughs> well, we had to do these meditations at the beginning and I'm in easy pose, which is not easy for me. I don't yeah. know. I just, I can't, I can't be there very long, I guess. And then my, yeah. my legs were going numb. And then we did other meditations where I was just kneeling down and you're just like sitting on your heels. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I'm like, I think my heels are going to fall off. I have to move. <laughs> and it was mid meditation and I'm trying to like move in a way. And then my, <laughs> my legs is totally asleep. And I'm like, damn, this is, I guess this is 40, you know, 41. <laughs> this is what happened. This when is you're funny. trying to do yoga with some bunch of, I think they're all, a lot of them are younger. <laughs> I get that though. That uh, hero's pose is really is hard. Yeah, where you're like on your oh, shins and on your yeah, heels. Yeah, yeah, that one's hard. You can always Ooh. put a pillow. You can always put like a pillow down or something. Um, Sorry, I just was yeah. oohing the fact it was called hero's pose. I didn't know that. Now I feel pretty. 
Heroic. Yeah. Heroic. Yeah. Some. I've also heard it called Little Thunderbolt, which I've heard, I've heard that know. too, actually. So it yeah. must be, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, you know, do you have, do you have to stay still? Because I feel like your comfort level could also be okay to tweak with <laughs> when you're in meditation. Yeah. Is that the, is that the Mormon in me? That's like, no, I have to do the sacrament. Mm. Right. You know, I mm. think that like, you have to get every word of the the prayer, right. That yeah. you know, this, this was supposed to be in little thunderbolt. So I'm going to keep in this post. My legs fall off. <laughs> Dude, that yo, yo, yoga, the best thing that yoga taught me other than all the cool things that yoga does for me is my uh, my yoga instructor is this hippy-dippy chick, and she's always like, if it's available, bring your arm around and lean back. But not if not, if that feels uncomfortable, let's just do some modifications that feel comfortable. Remember, this is your body. Do what makes your body feel good. You don't need to worry. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I can sit in child's pose for about 40 minutes and then do all, <laughs> all the other things that you guys do. <laughs> yeah, I would even add to that instead of, Oh man, you're making me miss teaching now. Instead of calling it a modification, a personalization. Oh, even better. Yeah, personalization. Because you're you're actually not modifying. You are making it accessible to you. And that doesn't mean that you're making it easier technically or Yeah, everyone's different. I mean, even when I was learning yoga anatomy to know that like the length of our bones and the you know, your hip in the socket or your arm in the socket, the depth of that or shallowness of that affects how you can do certain poses. So it literally is sometimes just how you're made. Interesting. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. So personalization. Yeah. Well, with hey, that, um, before, well, be now before we, before we just dive right in and yeah, say, yeah. Well, with that, let's do an introduction. I, I gotta, I gotta tell a, a thing that happened this week. So I just finished the body keeps the score. We talk a lot in here about like um, how the body stores trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And if you've got, you know, maybe there's something bugging you in your shoulder or in your neck or in your, in your liver, your organs, like there, it can, it can be a manifestation of something else, something subconscious, that kind of thing. So uh, the other night my wife bought a a ping pong table, you know, for our house. And so I, I yeah, so I had to go home and put it together. It's one of these big ass, like, like the instructions say, this will take at least two adults, uh, you, you know, attention, caution to this. It requires two adults, heavy objects, and it'll take four hours. And I still have, Mike, the same Mormon thing that you were talking about. I'm just like, fucking two adults. I could do this. I'll do it by myself. <laughs> I can carry I can carry eight chairs. I can. Yeah. <laughs> you, see me, you see me put chairs up after sacrament meeting? <laughs> uh so I put it together. It took me like six hours. It was a pain in the ass. And I'm squatting down. I'm lifting these things. I'm bending over. I'm on my hands and knees doing all sorts of stuff. And so by the time the thing is done, my back is just shot. It's like it's like 11.30 p.m. I go to bed. Next day, I'm just stiff. My back hurts. Lower back hurts, you know, and kind of walking funny. And uh, I bump into that later that day, I bump into one of my it's very similar to us type of people like hippie friends. And she's like, I, she's like, wait, what's going on with your back? And I'm like, ah, I just, I tweaked it and my back's a little sore. And she immediately drops into like, well, what's coming up for you? Like what, what kind of thing? Like, let's, <laughs> let's drop down into your body and let's feel some things. And I was like, no, there's no trauma or feeling my body right now. I was lifting, 
I was incorrectly lifting a bunch of hundred pound fucking ping pong table pieces that I tweaked my back. That's the end of the trauma. Like there's no, yeah, there's no like, Oh, we got to, I got to get in my inner child and do a meditation and heal and hug and all that kind of stuff. I'm just like, my fucking back hurts. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I did some physical shit and my physical body is now hurting. I'm older than I used to be. And I can't do shit. Yeah. That's the, that's the end of that story. That's that meditation. Oh, I love that. I'm always like nudging my mate and being like, well, what from your inner child is coming up? And he's like, it always has to be inner child. <laughs> so maybe I'll ask him if he assembled a ping pong table. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, it was a good lesson for me of like, you know, that duality we talk about. It's like sometimes, yeah, inner child uh, trauma, uh, doing some work, doing some, getting rid of some of that anxiety or depression or fear. But also sometimes someone just might have got like smacked. <laughs> like they might, they might have like hurt their back or tweaked their elbow or they might have like thrown their shoulder out. It might just be a fucking injury. <laughs> that is a possibility. That is absolutely a possibility. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah. Can we do a little like meditation? Please. Kind sure. of, like grounding. Okay. So. Is this to help I, Doug's back or is it? This is to help Doug's back <laughs> <Okay>. actually. Is <laughs> it her child? <laughs> For all of our inner children. Um, I I kind of run, and maybe it's a Gemini thing, Doug, where I'm like, oftentimes I love to dabble in all the things, but then I what I take is kind of rudimentary. And then I do get this feeling of, I don't know shit about fuck. And <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, maybe it's just because I dabble and I'm meant to just get little pieces here and there and just have my own conglomeration of stuff. So I don't know a lot about chakras. I do know that there are chakra pairs. The only two pairs I know are the heart and the root, and then the sacral and the throat. Those are paired chakras. Maybe are all of them paired in some way, shape, or form. I don't know. So this is a little thing for the root to heart chakra, like a connection, because the heart chakra is in between like more of our primal, right? Like physical chakras to our higher body chakras, and the heart's right in the middle. So connecting that middle space to the root um, can be can be nice. So I have a little meditation for that. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. So you can get nice and comfy. If it feels comfortable, close your eyes. And then see if you can root through your sit bones a little bit. Let the shoulders relax away from the ears. And allow the breath to come into its natural easy rhythm. When you're ready, you bring your awareness to your heart center and doesn't have to look like anything or be anything, but you might notice a sensation or a color or a feeling or a thought come up. And if nothing is noticeable, that is okay too. And then whatever kind of pathway you'd like to imagine. So sometimes a channel of light moving down to the root chakra. This is at the very base of our pelvic floor. And you might imagine a little connective string, maybe a strand of pearls, maybe a connection of light. Might look like a certain color, 
green, gold, silver, crystalline, doesn't really matter. Just let your imagination go wild with it. And see if you can envision this connection between the heart center and the root center. And if it changes or morphs, that's okay too. Then we'll bring our attention to the breath. And on an inhale, I invite you to bring this awareness from the heart center to the root center. So it might be some light channeling, or you might even feel the breath move. The inhale, the heart connects to the root. And on the exhale, the root connects back up to the heart. So we're inviting this pathway, this channel of connectivity, of unification between these two energy centers. Every inhale, the heart connects to the root. And every exhale, the root connects to the heart. And see if you notice any subtle shift of energy. Might feel a sensation of warmth or coolness. Maybe some tingling. Maybe nothing. That's okay. And whenever you're ready, just acknowledge the connection between these two energy centers. You can allow whatever, whatever showed up for you, <laughs> whatever channel between the two of them to just slowly dissipate or maybe it coils away. And just let your breath bring you back into your awareness of your body, where you're sitting, where you are in space and time. And then take your time opening your eyes when you feel ready to release the practice. Damn. Whenever, whenever we start... <laughs> Whenever we start with one of those like that, I mean, that was magical. Thank you. Um, Whenever we do, it's just, I don't know. It's weird because, you know, this morning I was feeling tired and a funk, you know, I mean, I did the Kundalini and everything. Then I went back to bed for like 30 minutes, which then I woke up with some weird dreams and weird feelings. I don't know. But like what I'm trying to say is that felt like I was coming in with a bit of a funky energy and this just, we're going to be fine here today, guys. This is going to be magical. <laughs> going to be just fine. <laughs> uh, thank you. I hear that. Yeah. Definitely funky for sure. I get that. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah. Great. I like that one. That was great. I heard it somewhere and do it often. I just, yeah, it's nice. And I feel like too, it's what we have in that root can often be disconnected from the heart, right? Like our, 
very primal need for security and belonging and safety and shelter. And oftentimes our heart may just may not be fully connected to, to that may not know we fully need or want in that area. So I like that one for that. So should we talk a little bit about you, Adrian? So people know I mean, who's. I, I guess so. <laughs> so no, people know who's behind the voice that just guided them through that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, my name is Adrian, and I'm a middle-aged ex-Mormon. <laughs> you, came, you came to the right. You came to the right place for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I feel like that's a theme. Um, yeah recently met some like local exmo folks and yeah they're just like how did i not figure this out after 45 years I'm like it's all good you you're where you are um we're all on our own timing so yeah i live uh in the san francisco bay area and i grew up here spent a nice little stint in the berg <laughs> rexburg idaho <laughs> 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 did, did the Ricks College BYU-Idaho thing. Um, got married young. Yeah. Um, did the whole Mormon-y thing. Temple stuff. And yeah. Then my shelf broke and I was done. Um, I do not have children. And that is a huge reason why I left um, slowly just added stuff to my shelf over the years with struggling with infertility and not feeling like I belonged, but yet also trying to belong and it just really not working and causing me so much pain and anguish. And yeah. Oh, it was so bad. Like in Rexburg. <laughs> we talk about that oh. for a minute. We never really yeah. talked about infertility in the church and what and and the pressure Mormon women have to have babies and to, and that's, and maybe the judgment or shame. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and also just not, yes, infertility being a struggle and also just the pressure and struggle to have children and to maybe make something happen that goes against fundamentally how you feel, but you don't know that because it was forced on you and you were never really given consent to be able to come into your own with it. So yeah, when we lived in Rexburg and like ended up moving into a house and stuff and, you know, cause when you go to school, a lot of oftentimes you're in student wards and we're in this family ward and they literally passed around a baby book every Sunday in relief society to write down if you were expecting and when oh you were, gosh. and when you were due, what? yes, every single fucking Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's so insensitive so insensitive uh like when are you due are you going to need assistance and if you're willing to offer assistance then you write that down too we'll make you meals we'll watch the your other kids when you bring the baby home from the hospital um not only insensitive to those who are maybe struggling to get pregnant but also women who were single or and or women who were gay and not, right. you know, able to say like, I'm not ever going to biologically have a child with my partner because my partner is a woman. <gasps> I mean, how much of that was happening in Rexburg that could have been and just really, really quiet about it. So 
Mm-hmm. The, um, there's a term actually that I discovered in the last five years and it's called pronatalism. And it's not just in the Mormon church, but it's in our society at large. And it's this invisible belief system that a woman is only valuable because of what comes out of her uterus and vaginal canal and what she ends up raising, right? So a woman is really only valuable if she has children. And it's also this obsession that we have with women's bodies and pregnancy and babies. Um, Just, you know, oh, you're pregnant. Can I touch your belly? It's like, no, my body. (laughs) Like, no, I'm not wearing a sign that says, please touch me. I mean, it's not like you go up to a guy who's like gotten a little beer belly and like, oh, can I touch your beer belly? You know, that doesn't (laughs) happen. So why do we have this really strange obsession with women's bodies and what happens in their uterus? So learning that, learning that word pronatalism, I feel like it is in society at large and then anything in the church. And, you know, I've talked to all of you about this and plenty of other friends and connections with people that whatever happens in society when it comes into the church it's just like doubled and tripled down it just becomes really concentrated and even more difficult so yeah there is a huge obsession with like have the kids have them as fast as possible have as many of them as possible and and then it's all women get to do and talk about in the church and like Shalice good on you for leaving young when you did because Hopefully this just didn't get to you as much as it got to some of us who stayed for a while and, you know, yeah, I am, got out. <laughs> I am thankful for that because I left when I was 20 and, um, but I do remember the pressure and I remember thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to get married. Like I had a boyfriend at 19. I'm like, he's the one. Mm-hmm. And um, there was the pressure. What's even more interesting as well is I wanted to do egg donations sooner in life because I'm an egg donor. I was an egg donor. I did it five times. And I remember consulting the church about it. Like, what does the church think about me donating my eggs? And they were kind of on the side of don't, Mm -hmm. which I thought was crazy because they tell you to have as many kids as possible. And if I have the opportunity to help a woman have children, you think that they'd be for it, but their stance was no. And that was, and I was like, okay, I'll, I just won't. And then I left the church, came to California and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Good for you for having that autonomy over your body to make a decision that felt right to you because yes, you are giving somebody an opportunity to have children who maybe wouldn't otherwise, if they didn't have, you know, the eggs donated and it, it, it is this very strange obsession that the church has with, you know, it has to be your biological child. You have to have them young. Um, but then there's a whole other side where they look at adoption really favorably. And there's this weird white savior complex with adopting children of color. Mm-hmm. And it's just really messy. It's really, really messy. So, and I know several people who have benefited from egg donors. So and they have children because of that. So yes, you offered a gift <laughs> and that's up to you to decide for your body. Um, you and know. you were a convert. So at what, when yeah. did you convert and then start feeling the immense pressure to conceive? Yeah, I was 15 when I converted and it's because I would go with my friend to church and, but I was also in love with a boy <laughs> 
and that boy is my mate. Um, oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Love yeah. It. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. We just laugh at it all the time. Feels like many lifetimes ago. And so I think that I also just, you know, and Shalise, you can relate to this on a society level where little girls are given like baby dolls or Barbie bride dolls to play with and just told by the adults around them when you're at preschool, when you're probably at church and nursery or whatever, you're going to be a mommy one day. You're going to grow up to be a mommy. And that just gets ingrained into young girls from such a young age. And boys, I worked in preschool for a long time. I taught school for 10 years. It's a little bit different. There is some stuff with boys like you're going to be a daddy, but the focus is more on the side of you're going to build things and you're going to grow stuff and you're going to be, you know, like a tough guy. And here's the truck. Here's like a Tonka truck to play with. And so from a very early age, it, we are societally conditioned. And that's also something I've recently woken up to where like, fuck, I'm mad because we're not, we don't get to give our consent when our two, when we're two or three years old, like, Hey, let me decide what I like and what I want to play with. And so we are conditioned into this so deeply by society, by this social construct. And then the church just doubles down, hammers down so hard. Yeah. So I was definitely stuck in my life's a rom-com, you know, I'm going to marry my boyfriend. Um, we're going to have kids right away. I wrote a paper in college that said I had six children. <laughs> no, no. Like not only looking back, like, did I know what I was thinking, but also I never considered, is this healthy for my body? Like, even if I was able to conceive and birth children, is this healthy for my body? Is this healthy? Is this healthy for my family? Is this healthy for our finances? Is this healthy for the planet? <laughs> like those things are not anything that you consider because it's just hammered into you. This is what you're going to do. And for women, we are told that our worth and our value comes from being a mother in the church. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Nowhere else. Oh, but you're so special because you don't even need the priesthood because you can be a mother but that's the only option you're given. It is the option for a woman in the church. There's no other option. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember them saying, um, well, it's okay. You don't have the priesthood because you can give life. And so I can't imagine how you must've felt when you're like, well, I don't even have that. So then where does that leave me? I mean, at what point, how many years did it take for you trying to get pregnant and then kind of did it, do you feel like your journey out of the church was exactly parallel with trying to have children and eventually both of them just kind of broke you? Mm. Yes and no. Um, you know, there is that, like, what's wrong with me? This is the role I'm supposed to have and I right. can't, I can't have it. So just feeling really broken and also having situations, um, with, fertility treatments and Western medicine, where I really lost faith in that too, because you're also told, Oh, if you go to fertility clinic, you're just going to get pregnant. Like there's these steps that you follow, right? Okay. Right. If you're not going to get pregnant, go to the fertility clinic. And then this happens. And then that happens and you'll have a baby, like, don't give up. It's going to happen for you. Right. And then if you add pray and put your name in the temple and all this stuff, 
you know, read your scriptures more. Um, you know, I remember reading my patriarchal blessing, just looking for clues in there. Like there's gotta be something I'm missing. Clearly I'm not getting it right. That clearly there's some type of, um, not necessarily unworthiness, but I'm missing the mark somehow. So like, I remember like highlighting and underlining certain words and looking them up and like, maybe this actually means that, and I'm interpreting it wrong. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. Like maybe I'm not praying or reading my scriptures enough. And that was very short lived because it's not sustainable. It's not, you cannot live your life on that crazy roller coaster like that. And then what happened was um, when we left Rexburg and my mate got his like out of college job offer, right. That you look forward to, because that's, that's the next step on the relationship and church escalator. <laughs> like, okay, we go, he's going to provide. And now I'm going to get to be a mother. And we had, uh, so we moved to Southern California actually. And he had infertility coverage with his health insurance plan. Wow. And so that to me was an answer to a prayer. Like, I remember we were in the temple, like in the celestial room. I'm like, can we hold hands and pray? And I got the sense that he, cause he had like two or three job offers that he should go for that job offer. And then when we looked at the fine print, oh, we have $15,000 in infertility coverage with insurance. I was like, of course, that's why that was the answer to my prayer for us to go there. Right. So we move, I find a clinic in Beverly Hills because they took our insurance. <laughs> like I was probably sitting in the waiting room with celebrities and didn't eat it. <laughs> I was so young. I was 27 or 28. And, and they probably thought I was an egg donor, right? Because nobody in Southern California is trying to get pregnant at a fertility clinic at 27 years old. Uh, you just don't see that. Um, but I had been in the Rexburg bubble for a while and I was feeling like an old maid at that point. I was like, my clock is ticking. Like I gotta, I gotta get a bun in the oven like ASAP. And so having that exhausting our, our infertility coverage with insurance and me not getting pregnant. Um, I, I not only started to really break my shelf with the church, but also just with that whole, the whole system that is in place with, with Western medicine and fertility and all of that stuff. So a lot of things came crashing down and um, then I just, and then prop eight happened. And then I was really conflicted and angry. And I remember seeing on the news, like we, we lived 45 minutes away from LA and I remember seeing people um, protesting at the temple and something inside of me said, I want to be there with them. I was like, yes. oh, wow. Yes. I was like, oh, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> like, you know, because I was angry and my shelf was breaking, but I didn't know that that's what it was. So something in me was like, oh, they are on the right path here, like protesting against this, this terrible like proposition that is going to hurt families. And that, you know, they asked us to call people and asked us to knock on doors. And no way was I going to do any of that. Like, nothing having like family members who are gay and yeah, having a never Mormon family. Right. I was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Like I, my family has the right to get married, you know, my family members who are gay. And so just little, little like notches, right. in the bedpost or little tiny things on the shelf over time. And then hit my early thirties. And we were just like, this is not happening. We're done. We're just not going to have kids. Um, and then something happened where it was like, 
okay, I need to double down really just kind of being jacked Mormon for a while, right? Like not going to church because we didn't want to, but not really addressing the issues because I didn't know that you could address them. You're not given the opportunity because it's either, oh, you stay in, you're kind of jacked or like you're a heathen that's going to outer darkness. There's nothing in between. There's no nuance. So um, something happened. Either, either doubt your doubts or you are too weak and fall away, right? Because mm-hmm. you want to sin. Exactly. So either you doubt exactly. your doubts or you uh, uh, are just so interested in, in sinning that you. you yep. Yeah. You want to be best friends with Satan. That's like right. that's, you know. <laughs> wait, wait, but so, you find yeah. out is that becoming best friends with Satan comes later in the process. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Satan's kind of a cool dude. Like yeah. and it's great. Yeah. I I love the meme that says, you know, I'm just like nothing's wrong with me. I'm just rock and roll and orgies. God is like floods, famines, like <laughs> <laughs> plagues, all this stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, like that's fine. Oh man. <laughs> um, so yeah, long story long, um just something happened uh where I just had to like I was given, I had to be like, okay, am I going to be out or am I going to stay? And I doubled down on trying to stay. This was after years of just ebbing and flowing and just being like, oh, it's Sunday. We don't feel like going to church. Okay. This is fine. No big deal. And then doubling down on like, okay, I'm actually going to stay. And the first thing I came across were the gospel topic essays. I didn't even know the CES letter existed. And this was probably like a almost a year before that November policy, right? So finding the gospel topic and finding the one on the first vision. And when I was a teenager taking the discussions, the first vision was my favorite. This was when there were six discussions and, you know, well, it was Mike Doug was probably what you... I got those, what you yeah, did I got those things your... memorized in Mandarin Chinese. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's the second one, you know, where they share the first vision and they ask you to get baptized and all this stuff. And that story really touched me because I was 15. And I was like, well, I'm like Joseph Smith, where these missionaries are coming to me, sharing this to me. And that story just always really touched me, the first vision. And it was like, yeah, this can ha- this could happen. It's kind of happening to me. So, of course, it happened to him. And um, when I read that gospel topic essay, I was done. I was like, what? There's this many renditions and they didn't talk about it for this long. And I, at this point, I can't even remember because it's not a part of my life anymore. But yeah, I, I, remember I was done. That was a big one for me with, a, I mean, in, in my speaking of patriarchal blessings, in my patriarchal blessing, it talked about how I would feel intense love for Joseph Smith. And whenever, mm. and whenever I'd hear a hymn about him, that my bosom would burn. And so like, Oh, how lovely was the morning? Like my bosom would burn and, you know, and then I was reading rough stone rolling and it, people had warned me about it and everything, but up until the first section of the book was, you know, money digging and everything, but I'm like, Oh no, this is Joseph Smith is human. It just builds my faith. And then it's building up to the first vision and I'm feeling that burning in my bosom. And then it says, oh yeah, there's all these different accounts and this, this. And I had a hard time that night going to sleep. I was floored. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was, yeah. I mean, yeah. my shelf didn't quite break in that moment, but that was a hard one, really hard one for me. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting what gets us, right? Because something that we clung to, and then when we find out 
we look behind the wizard's curtain and we see it's not what it said it was. And so with the infertility, it, um, at that time, you know, after leaving the church ended up doing a little bit more fertility treatments. It was like, okay, this is the last hurrah. I'm 35. We're going to see what happens. 36, maybe even. And I ended up getting pregnant with twins and lost the pregnancy. And I am actually so glad that I navigated that being outside of the church. Because yeah. you may never have left. Yeah. If you're yeah. involved still. I know it's possible because I had, I actually had a lot of freedom in being okay with not knowing because had I been in the church, everybody, everybody would have come at me with their contrived platitudes trying to explain why it happened. Right. Yep. And also in, in the church double down and in society as a whole, we really struggle with grief Mm -hmm. and in the church, you know, there's, it's just like, Oh yeah, it's okay to be sad, but that, but there's a reason for it. It's okay. It'll all work out in the end. Like we don't know why this is happening now, but all will be revealed in the celestial kingdom. And so I'm really glad that I feel like my experience and my mate's experience would have really been minimized if we would have stayed in the church and gone through that. And also the pressure that they put on parents who lose a child because it's, well, if you live the gospel correctly and do all the right things, then you'll be able to see them in the celestial kingdom. And if you don't, sorry, you're never going to see them again. Yes, absolutely. So much pressure and the pressure of, oh, well, they just, you know, they just needed to come and get their bodies and go back to God. And they're so pure and they're so perfect. And, putting conditions on who my children are, you know, without just letting them be, you know, just little, little babies that died and just being able to navigate that without the church really um, like polluting the experience. Yeah. I feel like was actually a really beautiful thing in a way. So I'm glad that I didn't have to deal with like people knocking on the door every day and all the really study people actually they did reach out and they did bring us some food which was very kind and the relief society president said can i bring so and so and so over i was texting with her and i said absolutely not i said this is not an opportunity for you to try to bring me back yeah home you know? teach I was like, <laughs> yeah i was like you can leave something at my doorstep and i stood my ground and since then they have completely left me alone <laughs> Good for you. That's not an easy thing to do. It's not. It's not. And so, yeah. So navigating this whole experience of leaving and just feeling like, okay, I get to not only claim my womanhood outside of any church or societal constructs that says that it should be, I want to help other women do that too. No matter what they are in life, no matter what roles they take on, First and foremost, like if they identify as a woman, like they're a woman and that all that other stuff is part of who they are, but it's not who they are and who they're valued for. So it just became really clear to me that I wanted to work with women and in some way, shape or form, some trauma informed way. And yeah, the body keeps a score. (laughs) Yeah. I'm having a lot of stuff come up for me with this conversation. Um, just this thing. So it used to be, it was funny, Shalise, when you said home teaching. Um, my 
like something in, in me wanted to correct you and say, no, no visiting teaching you mean, um, oh, right. which is such a, so, I, so I like that was in there. And so I was like, what, what is that in there? And so I started kind of in, in my mind going down that path of like, well, the priesthood takes care of home teaching. But then it was like, you women, you, in your women's organization, you can do a thing, but you can't call it home teaching because it's not a function of the priesthood. And somehow the phrase home teaching reflects like being yeah. a function <laughs> of the priesthood. So we, so we have to call it visiting teaching. Do you know what I mean? And I don't even think I realized there was a difference. Well, I think now they've changed it. I think it's like ministering. I think it's just all like uh, go minister unto someone. Mm, I think that's what they do right now. Yeah, they changed it. But it used to be that that, that hard line between uh, home teaching and visiting teaching. And, you know, growing up for me, our, our home teachers rarely showed up at our house. But my mom's visiting teachers were there once a week, every week from the time I was aware of human other humans existing on the earth to even now my mom is like best friends with you know her visiting te- she's had the same visiting teachers you know and so it's just yet another way that we use the that the church uses the the patriot uses men's authority over women as a reminder to women that men have authority over them type of thing. right and that whole thing just came up as uh that conversation was going on. I was just like, Oh shit. I, and I almost corrected Shalice. I literally almost corrected you and said, Oh no. Visiting That's TV. so funny. I, oh. I kind of love that uh priesthood patriarchal Doug is still alive in there somewhere. Yeah. He's sitting there somewhere <laughs> yeah. just trying to make sure we get the doctrines right. You know? Oh, oh my God. And I didn't even notice Shalice when you said that, that nothing in my brain went there, Doug. I was like, Oh yeah, that's exactly it. They wanted to just, do their thing because especially Doug, like you were saying for women, like these women showed up every week all the time. That's, that's what the men give you. And it's like, you're, you're good and valuable in the church when you do this. And so there's this element of women, I think just really wanting to people please within the church. So it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm so good. If I do this, I'm so valuable to, to the group, to the community, like everybody sees me doing my righteous duties. If I'm doing this visiting teaching, I almost said home teaching. <laughs> and what it is, and the funny thing is, like you're valuable if you bake something and yeah. bring it to someone and visit. Yeah. <laughs> and right. Visit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, that's that's your value. Which is a little bit uh, unfair because the I think that part of the the feminine is that ability to sit and hold when we talk about visiting we're just talking about sitting and listening and holding space and and checking in on a person and there's this natural um skill or natural beauty that 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 women or not I don't want to say women I want to say that that the feminine brings to that kind of thing of like oh yes I do know how to nourish and and build a relationship and, and care about and fucking care about another person you know what I mean yeah and meanwhile the home teaching thing it's like every week you're getting hammered, you know, you're going to elders Corman are like, Oh, you, we're at, we're at 32% home teaching. We got to, you know, this is the third Sunday of the month. So everybody get out there and get their home. And everybody kind of grumbles and is like, oh, I don't want to go see that. So-and-so I don't, I don't mean to say to them, I don't want to do anything. You know, that whole thing. And so it's like this, once again, it's this, it's this cool concept of it takes a village and working as a tribe to, to raise each other up that has been perverted and, and made a fucking mm-hmm. chore by the patriarchy. God. 
Well, and even just talking about value, and we were talking earlier, Adrian, how you were saying how growing up or, I mean, even in Western society, but especially in the church, your value of as a woman is what comes out of your vagina and what you're raising, right? So we strip any other way a woman can feel valuable about herself and her path and her purpose, I guess. And so no wonder why... There's that pressure to be valuable, to find value, to, to show your value. And that's just a crazy amount of pressure that women are under in the patriarchy. It is. It absolutely is. And I was working with a spiritual mentor for a while and we were doing um, just deep connecting to our inner energy. And she was talking about like the, the womb energy and the creative energy saying it's yes, it can be creating and birthing children. And she said the, the womb energy is actually the ability to create light. And I was like, Oh, well having a baby seems like no, like so small and insignificant (laughs) compared to like creating light like whoa and just like light energy universal i was like ooh like creating stars and p- parts of the universe and I'm like that sounds really rad i mean why are we so focused on this earth 3d construct of like oh yeah you can basically like 3d print a human that's cool look at what else is possible and how we're keeping ourselves from that and like mike and doug with what you were just saying now i'm just having this download of like, that's another way that the patriarchy is trying to keep women small and away from their, their true creative energy, which goes beyond what we can even understand. And men have this too. And this is not even a binary thing. It's a, it's a human energy thing. Like anyone can call on their masculine or feminine energy at times to, to create or build or birth something. And it's like, God, that we're just being ourselves because of these patriarchal constructs. So, um, yeah. Uh. So then where do you, so you, you guided us in a beautiful meditation this morning, right? <laughs> and you know, you, you've been into yoga and you talked about, I guess I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about how you got on the uh, woo woo path. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. Can I give a little, I just recently learned because part of this is deep, is uh, deconstructing my, the colonizer in me, right? That I actually learned that saying that woo-woo is, comes from being derogatory against uh, Chinese medicine. Oh, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Like acupuncture and Chinese uh. herb medicine and all these things. So that was from an Instagram account I follow about de- decolonization, right? And that was honestly just a couple weeks ago. So I... I used to say that all the time. So now I'm trying, I'm trying, I know, I know. And it's one of those, I feel like it's kind of like a spiritual gangster thing, right? Like that ridiculous brand where it's like, oh, let's just kind of throw these, these things onto t-shirts and tank tops because it's funny, like namaste in bed, you know? And so I didn't think anything of it until I learned that. So yeah. Um, so how, like, I wonder what else we could call it. Just the spiritual the, side, the spiritual side, the 5d path, metaphysical. <laughs> yeah. The metaphysical. So actually when it started around my Saturn return, 
as it does with some <laughs> 28, 29, 30. And I was reading like Hay House books, Louise Hay, yes. Wayne, yeah, Wayne Dyer, um, Gabby Bernstein. You know, I started Doreen Virtue, which she mm. went down a different path, but I still yeah. love I, <laughs> I still love her old school stuff and how yeah. I started and you're you're yeah. still an active Mormon at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Yeah. So like getting Oracle cards. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, they're sitting right over there. I've got like eight Doreen Virtue decks and I still have them because they mean something to me. I think at the time she made them, the intention was there. Right. So, yeah. So I, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I have that one <laughs> daily guidance from your angels. I yes. got this one. My mom gave me this one in like 2008 when I was yep. still Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We were looking through that. Uh, Didn't they even have like a Joseph Smith card or a, they have a, no, they have a, one of the angels. Isn't one of the angels. What? Oh no. We were looking. No, this isn't a Mormon deck. This is a Dorian virtue deck. Sorry. I'm going to remember when I was over your house and we, we, we looked at, you have some, don't you have some angel Bible dictionary or something? Oh yeah. I have an angel dictionary. Yes. And that one had like some of the Mormon angels in there. Oh, they were talking about the Mormon religion. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, that's sorry to derail us here, but (laughs) there was a Mormon tie in there and I wanted to explore it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. So I, I just started to discover, you know, I've, I've always been a seeker. I think that's probably why I was a convert. I even joked to my mom and I, uh, I'll say to my family, I was like, how come y'all didn't tell me that I was in a cult? <laughs> and, like, and, you know, I don't really use that word, but definitely high demand religion. Um, and they they were like, oh, we just wanted to let you figure it out in your own time. I was like, OK, that's that's fair. And I joke around with my mom now and I'm like, you know, mom, how come we just you didn't take me to the local coven and we be- didn't become pagan witches? Because that would have been so much more fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did. I do have to say, this is giving me a memory that I haven't thought about in a while. I was probably 13 or 14. I can't remember if it was a book a friend had or like a page out of a magazine that we found or something that had a spell in it. And it was a spell. What any 13 year old girl wants is their crush to like them. Right. So it was a spell for your crush to like you. And I remember doing it. It was like you had to put water in the tub and float a candle and stand in front of the mirror naked and say this thing. And you had to do it at like one 11 in the morning. <laughs> so I set my alarm and I woke up in the middle of the night and I go into the bathroom and I start drawing a bath, <laughs> lighting these candles to do a spell. <laughs> and like my mom knocks on the door and she's like, "Hun, are you okay? I was like, I, uh... <laughs> I'm just trying to do some magic. (laughs) So I definitely had this like spiritual seeker in me. Um, But yeah, I started with all that, all the Hay House stuff and everything. And I actually met a woman who is married to a guy that we went to high school with that came across them at our, we had an 11 year reunion because that's how dysfunctional it is um, at our reunion. And she channels angels. So this was around the same time too. Yeah, I was like 29 and had a session with her that she channeled for me and went to like the little metaphysical shop she worked at. And so it was all just picked out like some moonstone crystals and it just all kind of started at that time. It's interesting. I mean, I mean it sounds similar to you, Shalise, in the like that mm-hmm. you were spiritual 
while still Mormon. Yeah, I got my first spell book when I was like 10, 11. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Do you remember doing any of them? I remember saying, you go to the grocery store and get all these ingredients that did not exist in the town that I lived in. (laughs) There was an invisibility spell that I was like, I really want to do this one, which is hilarious because it speaks to my personality. Like I didn't care about the love. I just want to be invisible. There's there's a lot to unpack there too, by the way. Yeah. It's probably like Wormwood and Cat's Claw and Mullen. I still have the book. It's in my TV stand right now. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) So where are you at now then? So you live, you're in Northern California. Like, what do you do? What is your practice? Who are you now? Yeah. So, you know, still trying to figure it out. It's a daily process. Obviously, the pandemic has put, um, I don't want to say a wrench in things because it. Has just, it's just changed things. It's just changed and it is what it is, right? We have no control over it. So I stopped teaching yoga and fitness classes and started to just really think, okay, what, what am I going to do? What, how, what do I want to put out there in the world? I love learning all the things. I'm obsessed with learning anything and everything that could come my way that piques my curiosity. So started learning about more trauma-informed practices and trauma-informed yoga. I'm still in the middle of all that, just doing some courses and things. And with that, just really, I was really looking for community. And I feel like the pandemic too woke me up to the fact that if, if we don't collectively deal with our trauma, like this polarization that we're seeing in society is going to keep happening. There's, there's just something in the collective that we are so traumatized and this is adding to our trauma and to our stress levels. And honestly, right at the time when I was about to break is when I found your podcast (laughs) (laughs) and I joined the Facebook group. I don't even remember hearing you talk about it, but my desire to that four line I have in my human design chart, that community connection, I was like, there's gotta be something. And I found the Facebook group and I believe it had about 250 people in it. At the time, this was like maybe December. I can't totally remember. It's a little fuzzy. And at that time, I was also looking into um, plant medicine and like microdosing medicine because I, there was no way that I felt like I had something that needed medication. I was like, we're in a fucking pandemic right now. Like, of course I'm sad. Of course I'm struggling to find my purpose and to find connection and, all these things. So there were just, once I tapped into the mycelial network, it was just like, pop, 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 pop. All these little, all these little fruiting bodies started coming up everywhere. (laughs) And yeah, uh, I can't remember who it was. Somebody asked me to be a moderator of the group, the Facebook group. And that just snowballed into some other things and snowballed into some other things and led me to being here with all of you today. (laughs) I, I remember who it was because we uh, we spoke about it and we elected me to reach out to you and ask you. Ah. To do that. And so I was nervous. So I got I got high. And then that night you and I you and I did those voice message things yeah. through Instagram back and forth to each other. Yeah. And I remember I remember trying to figure out I would record this big, long thing and then <laughs> it wouldn't send or, you know, you like you, you have to like send it. Then instead, it would just delete the whole thing. Yeah. So I don't know how many. The reason I remember this so well, Adrian, is because I probably recorded 
17 voice notes to you and you got two or three of them because I was like, oh my gosh, figure out how to send it. Yeah, I don't know. That's amazing. That's some dedication right there. I appreciate your like your commitment to making that happen. I'm telling you, give give me a job to do and I will I won't feel uh, I will feel unlovable until I get the job. Done. Oh. <laughs> Also, it could have been Mercury retrograde. So that also could be, let's blame that. Let's not blame fat thumbs or lack of technological skill. Let's blame uh, Mercury. (laughs) It was retrograde for sure. uh, I just want to, I want to jump back to a thing that you said that I had never heard before. Uh, You you talked about trauma informed yoga. Mm, Um, Yeah. I could be alone here. I I've, I've never heard that phrase used. Could you describe a little bit more of what that looks like or what that is? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Um, yeah, I'm still like in the throes of learning about it. And so, so far what I've discovered, and this has been a couple years in the making for me too, is it's kind of what you were talking about, Doug, with your yoga teacher, where, you know, listening to your body first and foremost, and having the space where somebody feels comfortable enough to listen to their body, safe enough to listen to their body, and also okay with if they have no idea how to listen to their body because they've had so much trauma that they're in a space where they've got some complex PTSD and even just tapping into noticing their hands can be terrifying. There's a lot of disassociation, right? So trauma-informed yoga is extremely gentle and there's no... um, It's not what you're going to see in a Western yoga studio with a bunch of white women wearing Lululemon, you know, it's just, it's, it's not. And actually I was learning from an Indian woman for, for a short time. And she was saying that yoga naturally is a trauma informed practice. And so we've turned it into in the West, this performing, right. Where like, Oh my God, I'm so bendy. Look at me on Instagram. And it has nothing to do with that. It's a practice it's not a performance. And so dress comfortably oftentimes, and this is in a group setting, there's no mirrors. Um, you know, yeah, the teacher stays in front of you the whole time and doesn't walk around and come behind you because I don't know about any of you, but I have been adjusted when I've been in downward facing dog and I did not ask for that. And all of a sudden I'm like, Holy shit, someone's right behind me. And this was also from a male teacher there was no consent there. And then you're, you're in this vulnerable position where you're in downward dog. And, and if I turn around and go like, don't do that, I might tweak my shoulder or something. And so there, yeah, the teacher does not, there's no physical hands-on adjustments. The teacher stays in your vision view the whole time. And the invitation is the, the, the wording of the class is very invitational is very gentle And I started weaving that when I was learning little bits and pieces of it into my teaching, like at the gym or my corporate classes. And (laughs) there was this one guy at the gym and he would come to my class twice a week, faithfully go in the back, turn his mat around and face the opposite way, do his entire own thing the whole time. And at the end of class, he would walk up to me with his rolled up mat and saying, thank you. That was such a great class and walk away. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I like that. I like that guy a lot. I don't even know his name. He was my favorite student because he was the epitome of listen to your body. Yeah. Your practice is yours. 
Like, don't listen to me. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like I'm not in your body. So I started weaving that into my teaching a little bit and I would love to eventually move it in towards like not only just women, but individuals who feel like their body has been traumatized, especially by religious trauma or women, especially by patriarchal trauma, men too, especially by patriarchal trauma. It's men, you have like the patriarchy is not good for you either. <laughs> so <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Dude, I'm think that's so funny. I'm thinking about so uh I go to I, I kind of talked a little bit about the yoga instructor that I that I like to go to and my wife teaches yoga, but I don't she and I don't do it together very often because we she she gets she wants me to perfect my poses and stuff like that. And I'm like, leave me alone. Um <laughs> like she's really she's really good at it and I'm and I'm just stubborn, you know, it's my fault. But anyway, we had these friends that were like, hey, we, we, we know you guys like yoga. We have this thing we're doing. Come come to this yoga. We're like, yeah, for sure. So we get there. I maybe have told this on the podcast. We get there and oh, yeah. it's, it's like uh, it's like 80s aerobics meets yoga. So the instructor is like, doing, yeah. So, you know, she would be like, OK, now forward. Fold, now reach your hands up. Sun salutation. Breathe. And two. And three and four. Now four fold and hold and three and four. Now up, now up. Push your slide your hands up along your shins to your knees. Straighten out that back. Stretch out that back and breathe. And four and three and two and one. Now stretch. And I'm just like, what the fuck even is this? <laughs> What's going on? Sounds like she may was she also a Pilates instructor or like a bar instructor because it sounds like that a dancer. A bit too. Uh-huh. She's a dancer for sure. Yeah. Without without calling her out, she she's a like a physical trainer who does like a lot of those like body work type of classes like kickboxing and and uh-huh. Pilates and bar and all that kind of stuff. And she was, I guess she had just filled in for a yoga instructor one time and liked doing the yoga thing. And there Uh, were other people that really liked it. And our friends who invited us, they're like, oh, she's great. And I got out of there and I was like, dude, I I literally feel like I just did Denise, like sweating to the oldies or with uh, Richard. Jane yeah. Fonda. <laughs> yeah, Jane Fonda. Who's the other one? Denise. Uh, Denise Austin. Austin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is so funny. Yeah. It's something else else that I've come across to recently in my deconstructing of colonization and the colonization of yoga, which will be a lifelong practice, is that we have misnamed because yoga is an eight-limbed practice. And so the physicality is called asana. So uh-huh. I'm tweaking it to be like I'm a yoga asana teacher because I'm not teaching philosophy. Like, I don't know shit about fuck to be able to teach yoga philosophy, right? (laughs) Like I haven't studied the Vedas for 20 years, um, in India. So yeah, the yoga asana, which is fine in a physical, you know, like place like that, like let's do yoga asana and let's make it physical. Listen to Olivia Newton, John, while we do it. (laughs) Oh man. I'm getting, I'm getting like, uh, my like triggers are popping up. I was so uncomfortable in that. Oh, <laughs> well, you made it through. You made, it, made through. it through a little bit of yoga fusion. I don't know. It'd... Yeah, fusion for yoga. sure. Yoga Austin fusion. Yeah. Oh, I, I apologize. I derailed the entire thing. Um, Not you, at had, all. you were talking about how you had just uh, discovered the podcast. One thing I'll let our listeners know is that Adrian has been um, just 
just crucial to growing our our online communities. Uh, you know, Facebook as as the lead moderator. Um, just and anytime I go on there, Adrian, you've put up a new thing that's for discussion, and you got people. I mean. <laughs> You've put things on there that have had lots of discussion and have created, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That have created podcast episodes. Podcast, ah. that's what, yeah, that was the punchline. I was like, you've created actual <laughs> podcast episodes just from discussion topics that you've put on Facebook. So what has the, what has that been like as far as like on the back end? I've, I love some of your stories about active Mormon missionaries trying to get into the group. About, yeah. And, yeah. So yeah. I, what's your, what's your experience been like since uh, kind of, kind of becoming part of our little, our little tribe here? Yeah. It's been beyond rad. It's been so much fun. Like the most fun I've had in a very long time. And <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because I am one of those weirdos that, you know, I'm of the Oregon trail generation. We didn't grow up with internet or social media and I love social media. Like I'm one of those weirdos. Like you would think I'm a millennial. Like who's like <laughs> woke up like this, you know, take photos, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of those. I actually really like it because it's that my desire for community connection. And I do, I have all this air, like I'm a Gemini. If you know, like the doshas, I have Vata Pitta. So I've got a lot of this air, but this communication, right? So I love, I love talking, writing, communicating, building community through that. So might be a little bit of an overshare and it didn't turn into a podcast episode. So that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been, it was fun because when I first came into the group, when it was small, right, we, there were just kind of, whenever you get some type of Facebook group or an online group, and this is true in person too, when you throw people together to work together, there's usually some people who are at the forefront of communicating and creating structure. And some people are in the background, just reading it and looking and searching and just taking it all in and then saying what they need to say when they need to say it and then dropping back out again. And there's room for all of it. It's all that. And so I noticed that there, you know, with a group that small, there's a core group of people that just kind of pop in and out and you see their stuff more often. And, and then becoming a moderator, it's like, I got to see how people answered the vetting questions and how they wanted to be in the group. And across the board, so many different things. One of my favorites is someone said, my trip mate is in the group. Let me in. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of my favorites. Um, That one was really fun. And just seeing some people are like, I just discovered the podcast and I binged all the episodes and I want to connect with all of you. There's been a lot of that. And then when it started to get bigger, I want to say this was like spring, springtime, like late winter, early spring, folks were coming in who didn't even know that there was a podcast because Facebook was throwing the group into their algorithm and suggesting it because the group was growing and people they knew were in the group. So when you have friends, Facebook's like, here's a group for you. And people coming in saying like, oh, I want to learn how to use plant medicine. And I was like, oh, oh, that's different. Like, that's interesting. Um, there's other resources for that. And maybe you can learn something here. And then knowing too, we have to play the game on Facebook. We have to play by their rules and they're a little bit draconian and there is a high amount of censorship. And actually a couple weeks ago, us admins, we got flagged where Facebook was like, 
if this languaging is used again, we're going to take over moderating your group for 30 days. And we're like, no, there's a, there's a bit of like big brothers watching you in there. So we have to play the game. And so it's been interesting to curate the space where it's like, okay, folks, this is what we need to do to play the game. This is how we keep everybody safe because we're talking about stuff that is not yet mainstream and it's getting there, right? There's a lot of decriminalization happening and more and more research being therapeutic effects of, of these um, medicines. And so also just talking about expanded states, like nobody has to do any medicine if they don't want to. And what really woke me up to things was Jake's first episode when he talks about expanded states. And I was like, that's what I like to do. That's what yoga is for me. That's what teaching is for me. That's what reading like Wayne Dyer is for me at these expanded states. And so finding that there's actually opportunity for healing in these expanded states and it doesn't have to, there doesn't have to be any medicine involved because that you like take in your body because the expanded state is the medicine. And so it's been interesting to see people wanting to learn how to use medicine. Um, Some people have said, I want to learn more about Eastern philosophy. And I'm like, Maybe it's because the group is called a Sangha <laughs> that they think that. And I'm like, um, you might want to go to like secular Buddhism, Noah Roshetta for that or something. Like we're not really the place for that. And if somebody asked a question, of course, this is a co-created community. Somebody could pop in and say, hey, I know something about that. Here are some resources. So Doug, to answer your question with the missionaries, there was one day that is so clear by the Facebook profile, like total missionary said they were missionary, all the photos, missionaries, and they wanted to get in the group. And I think they said something like, I want to learn more about this in a religious context. And I was like, "Mm, that just isn't landing right with me. And so I rejected their request. And then pretty sure their missionary companion came in (laughs) and requested and said, (laughs) I want to learn about like Christianity and, and medicine or something. And so or Christianity and mushrooms. And I was like, "Mm, you're clearly a missionary like this. (laughs) No, I just don't. You just don't know. And also it's not, if their shelf is breaking, like we don't need to be a part of that. They can come when they're off their mission Uh, and stuff. Like it's just, I remember it. Yeah. (laughs) We had that conversation at the time and there's a part of me that's like, well, just let them in if they want to, um, you know, be in, but, uh, but there's the element that I'm glad we're doing is respecting the safety of the members who are currently there um, yeah. and the privacy. And so if someone's coming in and we just don't know their intentions or we're questioning them, you know, the, the space is still going to be there when they're off their missions to come in. So um, I, I love that we're doing that. Um, and just the vibe of the group has been and you know, a lot of it is like the direction you're helping set Adrian is just, just so many cool people. And I know that gets a little unwieldy as we get to 1300 plus members or wherever we're at now, but, um, and just people from all walks of life. I mean, we have some active members in there and we have, you know, people who are just barely transitioning out of the church and people who've been out for a long time and even, uh, never Mormons are in there, you know, and what, what a cool space so far for all of that, but it does get, challenging as it gets big. And so I don't know, I I love how you were talking about the importance of community to you before, and especially community of women. And, and here you are 
kind of at the center of building one of, and building and helping facilitate one of these communities now. And I just see how like your skills throughout your life have kind of led you to this moment. And it's kind of a cool deal. And thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. And thank you, all of you, because yeah, this is able to just come to fruition more. And the vision that is being co-created is, is happening. It's, it's so incredibly magical. I, I can't even believe the synchronicities that happen on the daily. And, and I know all three of you have talked about that on here too. It's like at this point, just lean into it because it's happening. (laughs) So lean in because it is happening. And yeah, it's, it's been amazing so far. And so the group, you're right, is that 1300 people ish, probably even more now at this point. And it was fun listening to James and Russell's episode because I can't remember if it was James or Russell who threw about almost 70 people in the group. (laughs) (laughs) And he was being modest when he was talking about that in their episode because I, yeah. And because he threw them in and here's another thing, when you put somebody in the group, they are not able to answer the vetting questions. And that's been really important for us too to keep, keep the container safe and, and just, consensual and all of these things that will provide a good community that we're learning along the way, right? Like every day there's something new to learn. It's not like I have this, like, Oh, I have it all figured out. I've been doing this for 20 years. Like I used to teach kindergarten. So, (laughs) you know, this is, this is something new that we're just figuring out every single day. And so that was fun because I had to message every single person and say, Hey, James or Russell is your friend. They have let you into the group do you want to be in this group? This is what we're here about. So it was copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste this message. And about half, I would say maybe half or a third of the people got back to me. And I spent half the day just messaging to them about Mormons on mushrooms and sharing the podcast with them and sharing the vision that, you know, we want to co-create for the world. And it was really, really fun. (laughs) It was a fun day. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Uh, And, and also to, to echo what Mike said, your, all of your experience leading up to where you're at right now has, has augmented what you do. T- being a kindergarten teacher is good training for holding space for a bunch of people. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that, that checks out. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, well, it seems like you're having a hard time. Would you like to draw a picture for me right now? Yeah. Could, I, like get some you water? A, could I get you a juice box? Why don't we go sit over here in the corner and, and we can, I can give you a hug. Like that's. Kindergarten and tripping are the same activity. <laughs> I agree. You know, it's possible that I never saw like eight, nine, ten months ago in my future that I would, you know, sit or guide with folks. And now it's like, oh, this could happen one day. And it's probably because yeah, you're not you're not wrong at all, Doug. You're not yeah. wrong. <gasps> oh, did you have an accident? Do you need help getting to the bathroom? Uh, <laughs> Oh, have you, have you locked yourself in the bathroom accidentally? Can I help you get out? I mean, these are all. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. You have I gum in it. your hair. <laughs> <laughs> you have gum in your hair. <laughs> Don't eat peanut butter right now. Not a good idea. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So it really has all these little, all these little pieces are coming together and it's been fun. I, I will say that there are some people who don't know what the community is. And so I just take that opportunity to message with them and some get back to you and some don't. 
And yeah, keeping the container safe is really important because we want to respect everybody who's already there, everybody who contributes. And the things that have come up that are starting to be co-created, like the integration circle, the the art that's been talked about, um, you know, kind of tweaking with the idea of maybe not necessarily necessarily a women's circle, but like a divine feminine circle, divine masculine circle, because we have these parts of us that are traumatized and that want to heal. And something that came, that I came across too, in all of this is, you know, that thing that they say to us, Oh, you can leave the church, but you can't leave it alone. That's what the narrative that's taught in the church. Right. And all these people who leave, they just can't leave it alone. You know, why is Mormon story still recording episodes like 15 years later, they can't leave it alone. It's not that we can't leave it alone. It's that the trauma doesn't leave us until we heal. And so we've got this group where, like you were saying, Mike, there's, there's believing Mormons, there's never Mormons, but we're all recognizing our trauma and we are not able to heal our trauma individually. This is an intergenerational collective trauma that we have. So we need to be in community in village to be able to heal from it. There's just, it can't be done on its own. And there's something about being in that village with people who've experienced similar things. Yeah. You know, when people share in the group, um, I get so many epiphanies of like, Oh yeah, I feel the same way. Or I didn't realize that was my experience as well too, but it is. And, um, and to a point you were making Adrian about, the cool things that I think we're going to start to see happening more with the members of the community is people coming in and bringing their own art art to this, I guess, collective we're, we're making here in a way. I don't know how to describe it. Right. But everyone bringing their own gifts and their own selves and their own, you know, their own weird ass selves to this thing. Um, (laughs) And I think, you know, one of the things you've been doing, Adrian is so great. And I think we can talk about it now probably. Right. Is, what the, maybe the future of, or the tools that will help us do that in the future, uh, or right now, like right yeah. now, <laughs> right now, now yeah. it's happening. It It's there. It's just, yeah, it's there. It's in its, uh, first step stage. Right. So yeah. Do you want me to announce yeah, it? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about okay. it. Yeah. All right. So what is happening is <laughs> there is an intentionally curated community for Mormons on mushrooms happening in the space called mighty networks. And for those of you listening who haven't heard of mighty networks, it can be an app. Um, It's a space where you can join a community group and there are forums, there's groups, there's subgroups, there's the potential for events and workshops and courses and meetups and there is so much more that we can do in the space beyond what Facebook offers. And so it's being built. It's, it's built as we speak actually. And so it's, it's, it's pretty much ready to go at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So by the time, like this is, by the time we release this episode, it's three weeks from now. So it'll be even more built. Is it a, (laughs) Is it a thing where like we can say we can give instructions now of how to find it or or do we want to wait a little bit on that? Yeah, we can. Um, If it's three weeks from now, it will, it will be 
absolutely up and running by then. And so, and if not, when folks listen to this, they'll just come across it when they come across it. So mm-hmm. one reason for the Mighty Networks is to be off of Facebook because we acknowledge that not everybody is on Facebook and that's okay. You know, not everybody wants that to be in their life. And Mighty Networks provides an opportunity for people who might find Mormons on Mushrooms outside of Facebook. They might find the Instagram page. They might just be Googling and find the podcast. They might just be looking at recently listened to podcasts and discover the podcast. And so this is an opportunity for them to come on and be in a community where they don't need to be on social media. They can stay anonymous if they want to, because Yes, it is Mormons on Mushrooms. We will be talking about medicine. (laughs) We will be talking about altered states of consciousness. And that's not going to be the only thing that's discussed because what we've discovered in the Facebook group, because of all the podcast guests and the episodes, what the three of you have gone through in your journeys and your experiences, and what people are coming into the Facebook group wanting is this is getting so much bigger than just let's like take some mushrooms. It's getting so much bigger because yeah, we have people who want village. They want community. They want connections and the opportunities that we can offer. So let's say somebody comes in a previous podcast guest or somebody in the Facebook group who's like, Hey, I've really learned about microdosing and I want to offer like a microdosing one-on-one workshop. They can do that in mighty networks there. We can create a whole event for it. They can, you know, record it and post it and, you know, keeping in still, yes, playing, playing with the rules with the Mighty Networks agreements and also, you know, just being able to have that accessible to anybody who's in the Mighty Network group. It's the opportunities for connection, for co-creation, for co-collaboration are limitless. So how, how does one find it and sign up for it? Yeah. So how they find it is we'll have to put the link in the show notes. (laughs) That's how they can find it because I don't know it offhand. There's a landing page it takes you to, and then you sign up and it's $5 a month. The first two weeks are a free trial period. And this is as of right now, right? This is just as of right now. Like I said, we're, we're learning as we go every step of the way. And the reason for this is because there are their hosting fees. (laughs) This is just the reality of it because we're off of a free social media. And so this is just to be able to contribute to offset the cost of the hosting fees and to say, here's a little bit of an energetic exchange. Like I want to be here, you know, money is currency current. Like here's my energetic exchange for me wanting to be here and to offer you, you know, my energy for thanking you for creating this space. So. Well, there's, there's an element of, um, you know, when you are giving that energetic exchange, a level of commitment you're, you're giving to yourself too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in this for self discovery, for self work, for self improvement, for connections, whatever it is. And bringing that energy to it, I, it, it's hard for me to put into words, but when I think of the things that I do have an energetic exchange for or pay a fee for, you know, I'm, I'm bringing a different commitment to it than I am than if it's a free thing. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm really excited where this is going. <laughs> I'm so excited. And I'm so excited that the fact that the three of you started a podcast and it's led to this is <laughs> so wild and, and so 
beautifully synchronistic in so many ways. <laughs> it's amazing. When I mean, you talk about the synchronicities and of this all, and you know, you say it's us creating the podcast, but everyone here, the community was there. It just, there's something about the podcast so far has been a big vehicle in helping connect all of us who are already there together, or, you know, maybe people are new people as well, but connect the people <laughs> together. And, and I think I, I hate sometimes going down this route because it puts a, a weight or a seriousness to it, but let's just go there for a second. There is something about healing this collective trauma together yeah. and having the resources, the friends, <laughs> the uh, knowledge to how to do that within your own body, you know, and how to do it and how help each other do that as well at this moment. That's, that's bigger than a podcast, you know, bigger than uh, our masturbation stories, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, uh, it's bigger than all of it. And so it's really cool to be a part of it, a small part of it, because I do think as this community grows, it grows bigger than the podcast. And we're just, we're just now we're just members of the community contributing our art in our way. Yeah. And hopefully everyone will start doing that and contributing their art in their way. And that we have the platform to do that. And I fucking love it. <laughs> the visual that keeps coming to mind is you guys built an arc and all of the animals of different types and species and talents are just coming to the arc of enlightenment. <laughs> oh man. I love that. I love it. Well, it's I mean, a big even orgy. Just... Is that what you were saying, Adrian? There's a big orgy on the ark. <laughs> big orgy on the ark. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we just gave Maybe. Mike Who C knows? a new art idea, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we did give Mike C a new art idea. <laughs> the arc of enlightenment. I love that. I love that so much. And it is. It's the way that it happened with Mike and Doug and then Shalise finding it and how that just all clicked and then every step along the way, every podcast guest, every Facebook community member, it's, it's just been so beautiful. And yeah, I can't believe that a year ago, I didn't even know that my life was going to be like this. And now I've been working with Peter and Andrea to create the mighty networks. Like <laughs> it's so incredible. And so, yeah, this is just really <clears throat> a space for people who are done being angry. And I shouldn't say done because anger still pops up now and then. Mm -hmm. So you discover certain things. Like I was mentioning earlier, realizing that there were all these things that I wasn't given any, I wasn't given any consent. And for me, it, it's interesting when Christine's episode came out for me, what was coming up even before that was polygamy, eternal polygamy. We're not given consent for that. You don't even sometimes know about it until after you've been to the temple or after you've had a sealing ceremony, you don't even know. And I remember being at Rick's college and talking to my roommates about it. And we literally gaslit ourselves because it was like, oh, well, we don't really understand it. It's just because we're on earth and we, it's a heavenly law and we don't understand it and it will all be figured out. There'll be a purpose for it. And it's how we get to the celestial kingdom. So it will all be revealed to us. Like, no, none of us said this is fucking wrong. Like, I'm not going to marry some guy and then get to heaven. And all of a sudden he has a hundred other wives that I have to be sister wives with. And yeah, we're all going to celestially fuck him. Like, how does that work? Like, 
none of us said we are not okay with this. We gaslit ourselves and we were given this, like, I don't care what they say, this doctrine that we just had to accept without our consent. And so discovering that, you know, little things like that, yes, bring up anger. But for the most part, this is for people, they're done being angry and they're at a space of like, I want to heal. Like I'm in my phase where I can deconstruct some of this shit. I can move through the sludge. I can get through the crap of all of it. But then like at the bottom, who am I and what's my foundation and how can I build that up? So the the opportunity to reconstruct, that's, that's honestly what I've been looking for since I left the church. And here we are now creating it. (laughs) And I would even use, sorry, did I I cut you off? No, I was just processing. I was making a, I was making a exhale noise because I was just processing some of this stuff. I didn't know that was your, if it was your exhale before imparting some serious wisdom, Sai. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think you're, I think, I think you're yet to hear that side. <laughs> That's that side will eventually come around, but until then I'll just keep cracking butt jokes. All right. Well, when we duck, I want to hit on then. Oh, sorry. I got distracted. <laughs> um, the anger part. Um, and I would even use the term redirect our anger because mm. anger is energy. Yeah. And let's use that. Don't suppress that. You're angry, but let's, where, where do we want to direct that ang- anger to? If we just direct it back at the church, we're just feeding the beast, you know? Yeah. What, what art can we create through our anger? Or what, what beauty can we create? And, you know, it's interesting. I was getting a visual, Adrian, when you're talking about like eternal polygamy and being an eternal womb forever. How much cooler was what you were talking about with through your womb, birthing stars and galaxies and, yeah. and creativity mm-hmm. and through your womb, your energetic womb, you you're birthing this new community platform and, and what other things are you birthing through it? You know, which is a cool deal in yeah. thinking about your struggles with inf- infertility and the heartache and everything that went along with that. Um, but what you're creating now and how that's good transcends a human life or five babies or six babies. And yeah. Well, how you've been um, a mother figure to all these people in the Facebook group and holding space for them and answering their questions and being there for them in that way. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was interesting on, uh, during one of my, one of my journeys, um, the facilitator, she said to me, like, you know, this was like next day in sharing circle. And she was like, I really get like nurture, like mama nurture energy from you. I was like, cool. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) It's because I used to round up kindergartners. (laughs) Now I'm just rounding up traumatized (laughs) 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 ex-Mormons. Arguably harder, arguably (laughs) harder. Harder. Yes. More, more of my own work to do in that too. Right. Like we can't do this and not also do our work. It's, this is for people who want to do the work. We're like, yeah, I'm not going to let that trauma move past even, even the intergenerational, even what we have in our epigenetics. We are the ones who were like, 
full stop, as painful and as difficult, and this might take my entire life, and I'm here to do the work. Man. I love it. Or, and, and or, (laughs) do the play. Do the play. I think sometimes um, when we say do the work, it comes off really intimidating and scary. But the work can be joyful and incredible and elating. So it doesn't have to, you know, if someone's like, well, I don't want to dive into the pain so much. And I don't know, that's scary for me. It doesn't always have to be that it can it can feel amazing releasing trauma. You can just feel incredible and want to dance and be happy. It can be hard and difficult and painful, but it's not always that. So I just wanted to put in that little caveat there. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. And that's probably like old patriarchal programming in there of like, do the thing, right? <laughs> Literally have how to do the work sitting on my shelf right there too. So, <laughs> so that's, yes. And play and lightness and levity and joy and laughter. I mean, laughing is crazy medicine and, oh, yeah. you know, skipping in the forest like a fairy <laughs> and yeah, or just like, I'm going to go to the beach and be a mermaid today. You know, that a mer person and <laughs> you know, it's, there's uh it's, you're right, Shalise, you're out. You hit the nail on the head. It's not all work. It's, it's just, it's diving into whatever shows up. Yeah. Just, I think just it's, it's intentional. So whether it's work or play, it doesn't matter. The intention is betterment and expansion. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Love that so much. And when you have a group of amazing fucking people to do it with, yeah. <laughs> you can get through yeah. anything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So this community is at this point probably up and running. Um, we're going to do a two week kind of trial run with some uh, capped amount of folks coming in because the whole purpose of this is, is to build a village and co-creation. So we have, you know, like polls and threads that they can comment on. And as we start to interact, it's like, what's going to be valuable to you? Where do you want to contribute? What, what was working for you here? What do we, you know, what can we let go of because it just isn't serving the way we thought it was? Um, what's missing, right? What do we want more of? And so the opportunities are endless. Yay. I guess real yeah. quick, we should describe uh, the Facebook community will still be there. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I think we yeah. should and yeah, mention that. Yes. And for those in the Facebook community, there will be a full on announcement for the Mighty Network. So there will be a link in there that they can join as well. And yeah, they, this is a yes and <laughs> situation. Yeah. They're it's not going to be a replacement. It's just, okay. There's, I think there's people who will just gravitate more to the Facebook community and that's the, what the level invo- of involvement that they want or that they need. Yep. And that there are people who want to go a little deeper, a little more connected and uh, a little more part of this whole thing. And yeah. so it's let's, a yes. And I love that. It is. Let's, you know, which matrix do you want to play in? Right. The Facebook yeah, okay. group, the mighty networks, both and listening to the podcast, you know, choose your, choose your adventure. <laughs> love that. All right. Well, I don't know how, I don't know how it just went uh, an hour and 45 minutes just went by, but it did. I felt, I felt the whole time I've been feeling like, man, we got, I got to, I've only talked like twice and Mike and we got all these stories to tell. And I looked up and it's 1047 and I'm like, oh shit. 
<laughs> it went by so fast. Fast, and huh? Yeah. We, us Gemini's, Doug, we could talk forever. So, no, I, you know, I, I get in trouble for that a lot, but it is who I am. I am who I am. <laughs> or we are who we are, I guess. Gemini's would say we are who we are. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All, all parts of us. Yeah. <laughs> this has been fucking rad. Thank fun, you, Adrian. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. I get kind of short notice. We kind of surprised you a couple of days ago. I was like, we want to talk to Adrian. And yeah. I think the timing is perfect. Love talking on the Lionsgate portal, announcing what we're doing and just having you involved in all this. Uh, thank you, Plant Medicine, for connecting us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for just the synchronicities of how this happened and for, you know, bringing me into this, this village and for all the people that we're bringing in, it's, yeah, I just feel, um, you know, what we, one of our most fundamental root chakra needs, right. Is belonging. And so thank you for creating the space where we can all belong. It's really beautiful. Hmm. Thank, thank you as thank well. You. I mean, you've, you've, <laughs> yeah. You've created the space. Uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's amazing to see how it's just, like you said, it started with just a, there was a core group of people who would bring up conversational topics and would interact with one another. And now it's like you pull it up and you, you have to dig through and read all sorts of stuff. And people have all sorts of experiences and, and questions. And uh, there's a lot of good info. There's a lot of uh, like, there's, you can dig into that Facebook group and really find some cool practices and some cool new adventures that you could try out. So it's just been beautiful to watch that grow. Yeah, absolutely. And uh I'm I'm thinking we can ask Christine to do like some some uh sexual trauma healing workshop in the Mighty yeah. Networks. Man, that <laughs> yeah, that episode is still with me. Like I'm just, <laughs> that was that one was a lot for me to process. Oh, <gasps> uh, so oh, yeah. good. More the, to come with Christine for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Just the opportunities are endless. So all right. Love you all. All right, bye. Love you. you. Thank you. Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Mormons on Mushrooms podcast. We have so much fun recording it. And if you love it, we would absolutely love it. If you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts, it would really help our visibility so more people can listen to it and be enlightened and hear our crazy stories. So thanks again for tuning in. Bye.